the volume. Soup with Coop is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there is a contest for every fan. FanDuel. More ways to win. My next guest on Soup with Coop is an All-American, is a national champion, and a Super Bowl champion. What else do you want in a resume? My good friend Jonathan Vilma joins me to have some soup. Jonathan, welcome to Soup with Coop, my friend. Oh, pleasure, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Am I supposed to grab my spoon and start eating too? Or There are very few rules on this. It's just uh, just be yourself and enjoy yourself. And uh, what, what kind of soup are you having today? Having uh, some Campbell's chicken noodle soup. Uh, I'm not having mine with the pinky up, but uh, I will eat mine regularly. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We got the pinky up there. That's, that's a fancy way to eat soup. I'm not that cool yet. You know, that doesn't surprise me. You're not a fancy guy. I'm, you know, I, I woke up like this. I sleep in this sort of outfit. So you're a little more casual. I'm formal. It's just the way it is. I see. You know, it's funny. Uh, your timing of introducing Campbell's Soup could not be more apropos, being that we do not have a sponsor, yet we are looking for a little, uh, maybe just That's a little love. Literally the one I just had. I'm no ad wizard, but I, I think we're on to something here, Jonathan. This is, this is yeah. karma right here. Mm-hmm. Now, when we were talking preliminarily about what kind of soup you'd be having, someone said, Jonathan only eats chicken noodle soup. I didn't know you were that loyal to one type of soup. You know, I'm just uh, a loyal guy like that, Coop. I, no, I'm joking. I'm really not. But <laughs> chicken noodle soup is just the, the easiest thing, right? When you're young, you're sick, what does your mom give you? Chicken noodle soup. You get older, yeah, you're in think- college, you have no money, what do you buy? Chicken noodle soup. Exactly. I would think at some point in your life, especially someone who's lived in New York, your palate might expand a little bit and you could go into maybe a tomato or a broccoli and cheese, you know, God forbid a chicken tortilla. But I, you know, I know you're, you're kind of a simple guy. Just keeping it right in the middle. I tried the different ones, you know, and I dabbled here, there, and then I came back to the, you know, the old loyal, the, the trusted tried and true. Years and years, chicken noodle soup. It's true. Everybody, everybody I talk to thinks there is medicine in here. It can just, it can heal a cold, bad day. You probably didn't have Listen, any cold, bad days in Miami. It's either medicine or drugs, right? It's one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> either way, you're feeling good afterwards. So <laughs> it's, it's one or the other. And hey, I mean, who am I to judge, right? Whichever one it is, it works. When you say drugs, it makes me want to just kind of go right out of the gate. There you go. You know. Yeah, look, hey, you know. Um, let's talk about you growing up in Coral Gables. Um, were you, uh, were you a good athlete your whole life? Were you always, were you always into sports? Always into sports. That's very different than saying always a good athlete. I would, I would say I was, uh, so competitive that I, I made myself athletic, um, because, you know, you just go out and play and play and play and play. And then I thought I was athletic until I ran up against, uh, playing basketball, my rival high school had uh, Andre Johnson, Udonis Haslam, Stephen Blake all on one team. So suffice to say that we lost that game twice, actually three times because they were in our division. 
Um, and I thought I was an athlete until I played against those guys. So, uh, you know, that's very relative when you say where you're an athlete. Very relative. Did, did you always – were your parents – did your parents push you toward sports? Was that important to them? No, education, all day, every day. Uh, matter of fact, that's how that's how they controlled me, right, with, with sports. It was, all right, if you get a bad grade, you, know, you can't play sports, right? So uh, that was the 18 years right there of, okay, got to get good grades to in order to keep playing ball. And finally you get them and realize, oh, yeah, school is actually really important. Education is really important. So then they didn't need to threaten me anymore. And, and you were always you were fat. You're a fast guy, John. I mean, even for you know a linebacker, you're faster. Were you a? Were there other positions prior to linebacker that you fancied nope. yourself? Really? Nope. Nothing. Linebacker. You. Here's why, Coop. I started watching football, man. Maybe like around nine or eight years old. And at the time, this is now late '80s, early '90s, down in Miami. So, you know, the only talk of the town was Hurricanes football. And back then it was, you know, Michael Barrow, the Bermuda Triangle, Jesse Armstead, all these guys. So I saw them. They had the cutoff jerseys showing their abs. They celebrate nice. after every tackle. Exactly. I was like, oh, that's me. Then they get to hit people. They get to hit them as hard as everyone celebrates. I'm like, oh, this is right up my alley. I got to be a linebacker. Then from there goes to Ray Lewis. So, yeah, it was linebacker all day, every day. Now, were you pretty heavily recruited in high school? Ah, funny story. I was not. I really wasn't. Now, you got to think, I was maybe like buck 85 soaking wet. So, <laughs> everyone is like, they saw my stats, or not my stats, my measurables, and they're like, oh, okay, he's going to be a safety. But it wasn't until a team would actually come down and they would watch me, and they were like, okay, he's a linebacker. So it, it was funny, though. It was only the Florida teams that wanted me as a linebacker, Miami, Florida, Florida State. And the other schools, they didn't really know until they came down. They actually came to see Frank Gore because he was on my team. So Frank Gore was the talk of the town. So people would come down, they'd see Frank Gore, and they're like, oh, wait a minute. Who's this guy running around hitting people? Hey, he's, yeah, he's kind of good. Okay, what does he do? Oh, okay, cool. But by that time, I was already, uh, you know, Miami through and through. So it was going to be Miami or nothing. And were you and, were you and Frank a, a package deal? Did y'all both talk about? <laughs> no. Frank was a year under me. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Frank almost went to Ole Miss. He was so sold on going on. You, right. Exactly. You would know. Right. I, rem I right. remember that because Eli was there going, I think we got two uh, guys really in one. Miami. And, uh, yes. It was and Roscoe Parrish. Roscoe Parrish, exactly right. Right. So what happened, Roscoe Parrish, Frank Gore, actually at my high school together, and they were uh, both a year under me. Roscoe leaves. He goes to our rival, literally down the street, like 10-minute drive down the street. Um, and then we faced them. It's just how Miami is. Everything's, like, really close, and you, you go from one school to another. I mean, I had Antonio Bryant at my school. We were playing high school ball together. He goes to Northwestern with Vernon Carey and these guys, goes and wins a national title, uh, no, state title. And I think they were number one in the nation that year. I don't remember. But anyway, the point is, I digress. The point was, <laughs> Roscoe and, and Frank were, you know, like this. They were like, they were boys. 
So they both are going to go to Ole Miss together. And the reason why is Miami was a little iffy on Roscoe. Then they, you know, they watched him some more and realized, well, this guy is a really good returner. That's when now the slot receiver became a thing. So they're like, okay, we can put him in the slot. He's pretty awesome. So they offered him. They offered him. Frank now obviously takes the offer as well. And then the rest is history. I remember some sort of story. They were, you know, the Ole Miss guys were looking for those two guys, and they said they couldn't find them. They some Miami guys took them out on a boat, took their cell phones, threw it in the water, and it was signing day was just crickets. They couldn't get anything. No, no reception. I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> so you roll into Miami your first year. You use. It's been rolling. It's probably cooled a little bit and getting ready to crank back up. Y'all are signing people left, right. What are you weighing? Going in? Uh, you, Going want, in. you want the truth or what I wrote on paper? Which one? Well, I can tell you right now, when I was a freshman in high school, it said 5'9", 135 as a freshman, and I was lying about that weight. So I assure you, <laughs> everybody's fudging. Yeah, so I was, uh, you know, 195, give or take. <laughs> 195, give or take. Yep. Okay. And you look around, you go in that locker room, and over the course of your time in Miami, I'm just going to throw out a couple. Let's just go down. I'm going to go down the list, and I want you to say one sentence on the following players. Okay. Just something, anything that pops up. One sentence on the one sentence, one word, one sentence. One word, one sentence, one thought about each player I'm going to name. This is how many studs you were surrounded by at Miami. It is absolutely frightening what. Butch and Larry put together down there. Let's talk about Andre Johnson. One of the best athletes I'd ever been around. He could have played basketball, could have played safety, goes to wide receiver, and you, you, you already seen what he what he did. Amazing. Hall, future Santa- Hall of Famer. I agree. There, there are a litany of Hall of Famers on this list. How about Santana Moss? The, the best athlete I've ever been around with the biggest chip on his shoulder. He never took anything for granted, and he got to Miami on a track scholarship, was ticked off about that. He goes and balls out, was ticked off because no one gave him more credit than, he, than what he did deserve, goes to the Jets. We're up there. He's ticked off there. He always had a chip on his shoulder, one of the best athletes I've been around. Reggie Wayne. Mm, man, Reggie is a defensive guy that was trapped in a wide receiver's body. Reggie Wayne. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That is His so good. attitude, he was a defensive guy, man. The way – just – if you go back and watch film on how he used to get off press man, just like, bah, you know, just boom, body him up. And, uh, you know, I voted him captain. I, I loved his mentality, his work ethic. He was awesome. I love the way he caught a football. He caught the – you know, some people talk about Aggressive. soft hand. He absolutely – like – it was mad at the ball and just literally snatched it out of the air. Yes, yeah, snatch it out of the air. Exactly, just aggressive. What a, what a teammate. Uh, Jeremy Shockey. Jeremy Shockey was the catalyst. He made everything go. That, that was our – he was perceived as a wild man, you know, deserved the reputation, but one of the best teammates you ever had. Uh, man, I love, I love the, like I said, the catalyst, he would start fights. Uh, it didn't matter. Whatever, whatever went, that, that was his thing. Ed Reed. Man, Ed is, 
uh, mentor, friend, uh, look up to him still. He was – his whole mentality, the way he approached the game was just second to none. You know, uh, Peyton played golf them not long ago. They went on a little golf trip. And he, it's kind of – he's got the golf bug, and he played nine holes with a backpack. He, he brings his own cigars. He brings his own drinks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm like, I go, Peyton, what was in that backpack? He goes, I was scared to ask. No telling. <laughs> yeah, man, Ed, Ed loves his cigars now. He loves his yeah. cigars. He, he is. Looked he was. At me like, are, are you sure you're Hall of Fame safety? You, you don't look like it anymore. <laughs> yeah, another Hall of Famer. Um, the late, great Sean Taylor. Man, the best competitor I ever been around. Sean Taylor was a year under me, came in same year as Frank Gore and Roscoe Parrish. And I had never been around someone who competed so hard. And it did it literally didn't matter. Whatever it was, it was a competition. But I I actually competed against him just running one tens in the summertime. Yeah, you know, that that's how competitive he was. Jonathan, that footage of the Pro Bowl game. When they fake that punt and that kicker oh. is running down the right side and Sean comes out of nowhere is, I mean, it's on every YouTube, TikTok. I mean, my kids come in and go, tell me about this. What happened here? I mean, that gives you an idea of how competitive he was when he's lighting up a punter in Hawaii. Extremely competitive. And I, I'm telling you, it did not stop. Any time of day, he's on. Let's go. One of my favorite players, uh, teammate of Eli, Antrell roll. Antrell, man, you see my face just smile and light up because he's he's the most fun that I ever had is with Antrell roll, and it's not like you know party fun. He's got stories. He's hilarious. He's as you said, great teammate. Man, he, he's he's a fun guy. Man, great energy, a fun guy. One of the greatest athletes, fastest guy I'd seen, and you know he got hurt. But Willis McGahee, what, what was Willis like? I mean, we, you know, we saw that injury. Talk about him before and even – I mean, after he played – shoot, he played 12 or 13 years in the NFL to give you how good he was. What was yeah. he like? Because he was young and came on the scene quickly. So, you ever hear that expression, you know, it, it felt like I hit a freight train? That was Willis in practice. Going, going up against him, he wasn't much bigger than me, but he was so – strong and so powerful that we would go and it was always ones versus ones, you know, and especially in training camp, you know how it is. And we would do short yardage, goal line. Everything was live back then. It was literally like hitting a freight train. He was powerful, man. Super powerful. And Frank Gore, I mean, Frank Gore is a, he's a hall of famer. No question. I mean, yep. he's an ageless wonder when you were in high school with him. Did you think Frank, Oh, Frank's going to play forever. He's just, He's so good. He's underrated. He's really an unsung hero. Very, very underrated. And I didn't think he'd play forever. Funny story about Frank. Frank was like the laziest teammate I ever had <laughs> in, back in high school. And it took about – it took a new head coach, high school I'm talking about, and about, uh, I'd say, a year and a half to finally get it into him like, hey, you got to work, man. You got to ball out, et cetera. And, you know, I'll never forget, Frank and I, coach would literally just make us do one-on-one -on -one drills all the time. He's like, anytime Frank goes, you're going. Anytime you go, Frank's going. So it was pass rush, pass blocking, pass routes, everything. 
And I tell you, when it finally clicked for Frank that he was, you know, pretty salty and he got the work ethic down, he started breaking records, like literally started breaking records, Dade County rushing records, state rushing records. Like he was that dude. It's amazing what coaches can do and, and parents can do and friends of, you know, parents of friends and who can, you know, what button to press to get these guys because there's so much talent. One other guy, we, you know, we've, we've had Nick Mangold, a former teammate of yours, the Jets on. Oh, yeah. And I asked him, who's the worst, most miserable person to go against all time? And he goes, you know, I had to go against him twice a year, but Vince Wilford. He said he's so athletic. He's so smart. He knows what I'm doing. I know what he's doing. He said it was just brutal. I've been pretty nice to have him playing in front of you as a linebacker, I would think. Yeah. I, I had – I was very, very fortunate. I had some really good guys up front. And Vince Wilford, a uh, funny story about him, he actually ran in high school a kickoff back for a touchdown. And I, I couldn't believe it. I was like you. I was like, no freaking way. You're like 500 pounds, bro. No way you did that. Uh-uh. And he pulled we, it up. He pulled up the footage. He ran a kickoff we, back for a touchdown. Yes. We got to find that footage. We have to. That would be – that, that just tells you a little bit about how athletic Vince Wilfork was at 320 pounds, 340 pounds, whatever he was. Jonathan, I'd like to just see some of the scrimmages, the inter-squad scrimmages. I mean, you got, you got seven Hall of Famers right there just at, at practice yeah. every day. It's insane. So, you know, we, we tried to get through practice. But we were so competitive that we ended up fighting halfway through. We, we couldn't really finish practice. And the best was Larry Coker. We go into, you know, we always have, you know, the spring scrimmage. You invite the fans, all that jazz, and they get a look and get excited about the fall season. And I'll never forget, we go out there, offense versus defense, and he's going to have it. Ones versus ones, twos versus twos, you know, and then – that's just the way we rolled, and we do our warm-ups. We then get together at the team little huddle right before we get started, and I'll never forget, Larry Coger's like, all right, man, you know, I, I want you to go out. I want you, I want you to have fun, but please, please, just, just don't fight. Let's just get through practice. <laughs> Let's just get through scrimmage. Just don't fight, all right? Anything you do, just don't fight each other. <laughs> And I'm just looking around like, oh, my God. Like, we really fought that much that he had to literally call us out for a scrimmage just so we can get through it so the fans can kind of see what we're about. So uh, that's how our scrimmages went. That's how our practices went, if you wanted to get an idea. I mean, when Butch Davis <clears throat> decides to leave Miami and go to the Browns, he – I mean, you know, I know everybody has regrets – but look, he's, he's got to be going, I'm leaving three national championships on the table to go to Cleveland. Um, if they're drugs in, in chicken noodle soup, I don't know. Butch might, <laughs> Butch might have been taking this all. Goodness. No. I, I'll say this, though. I'll say this. In Butch's defense, he told the Browns, I'm not coming unless I get this, 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 this. You know, like, let's say these five things. Sounds are like, check, 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 done. If I'm in his shoes, how, how do you turn it down, right? You, at the time, he was very well paid. He then becomes, he's, he's coach slash GM. He has control. 
you know, I think back, I was 18. I was like, I, I hated that he left. When you think back and you're saying, all right, you look at the business side of it, you're getting everything you wanted. It's, it's hard to turn down, hard to turn down. What was it like? What was Miami going to the University of Miami? I mean, you know, I think of you have those great 30 for 30s and you think about, you know, you're on TV on those those great Miami Notre Dame games in the in the 80s and Irvin and Boston College. I mean, those I mean, but then I mean, to have to get that much talent, what what am I what am I missing? Do you, I mean, I know Florida is blessed, but that is just you're red shirting all Americans. Yeah. Literally, one that wasn't by accident. Butch Davis, a little history on him. He was uh, picked up or hired to Jimmy Johnson's staff back in Oklahoma State. And the reason why he was picked up on, on the staff was because Jimmy was like, hey, you got a good eye for talent. I need you to go get me the best guys around here so we can compete against the Oklahomas of the world. So that's what he did. And sure enough, before the year before Jimmy Johnson comes, he beats Oklahoma. And he had the talent to finally compete. So gets recruited down. Jimmy Johnson gets recruited down to Miami. And Jimmy is like, I'm not coming unless this guy comes, Butch Davis. So Butch comes, and he was then tasked again We'll get all the guys. And if you think back to those championship years with Jerome Brown, you remember him, defensive tackle, yeah, Benny Blades, Michael Irvin, oh. that's all uh, Butch Davis, Jimmy Johnson recruiting. So now we get hit with the sanctions and all that. Butch Davis comes back. He was over at Dallas with Jimmy. And, you know, digress for a second. Think about the Jimmy, the Jimmy Johnson years at Dallas. And think about the offensive line they had. Think about the defense they had. Like that that's them, right? That's those guys. So Butch Davis, he comes back, he's a head coach now. And like I said, he he knows talent. So took him a few years, hit with the with the uh scholarship restrictions. Finally we get all the scholarships. He gets all the guys again. And you saw what was that was basically a product of him and his recruiting and Coker obviously reaped some of the benefits of it, but He's just an, an all-recruiter, man. He knows how to get guys. And it's not just the five-star guys. It's the talent plus a chip on your shoulder, plus you're going to work hard, plus you're going to compete. Like, he knew how to get them. Yeah, that's, that's a gift to find guys. And then find guys that are going to be the right fit. That's always – you know, you can get a bad – I'd like you to talk about that. Just the idea of a, what a good locker room, how much more important a good locker room is than a, and a, and a, than a good team with a bad locker room. I always look at the Pittsburgh Steelers as the bar for what it is to keep older veterans that are a little past their prime, maybe not as productive, but they're such great character locker room guys that you keep them around for another two years. So they instill what the culture should be to the young guys. Now they part. The young guys now know what it is to practice, study, watch film, don't get too high on the highs. You get on the winning streak, too low on the lows. That's what I, I say the Steelers set the bar, man. They they know how to do it right. And there's nothing to be said. You cannot put a, a number or you can't put a value on a great veteran that brings along the whole position group. 
like four four D linemen, four linebackers, four wide receivers learn under this one veteran and they know now how to be pros. You can't put a number on it. You can't put a price on it. That's where a lot of teams get it wrong. You know, you said it, learning how to be a pro. That's such a, that's such an inside kind of inside the locker room, uh, you know, combine type word. You know, well, we bring, bring him and we're going to have to bring a pro in to kind of, you know, right. let, him, let him grow up. So, John, you win a national championship. You have an All-American. You're an All-American. You have this unbelievable career. And you get drafted in the first round by the Jets. And the Jets probably aren't half bad, but at the same time, when you look, when you go in that locker room, are you going? I think I might have just left a locker room in Miami with more talent <laughs> in college than I am here on up in the Big Apple. No, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I'll, the only thing I'll say is there was no adjustment to the speed of the game. Like it. I was already adjusted being around some of the, the top athletes down in Miami. What I will say, though, is I had to get used to the experience that the center and the two guards have in the NFL with each other. So when the times when I could run through a gap and the center of the guard didn't – they weren't paying attention and I get a TFL, now I'm running through, oh, whoa, okay. <laughs> oh, okay, I can't do that. This is the NFL. I can't do that. All right. All right. I got you. So uh, that was, I'll say that was the biggest adjustment. Was, was moving to New York a big adjustment or did you kind of, in Miami, you've seen it all? It's, yeah, I've seen it all. And to be honest, you know, I'm there, I'm, I'm here to play ball, you know, so it's cool. Media capital, there's always something to do, but, you know, take care of the main thing, right? The main thing was football and I worried about that. Soup with Coop is proud to be presented by FanDuel. Never played FanDuel Fantasy before? Great! FanDuel is offering users the chance to play free, no deposit required, with a free entry to an NBA contest. Plus, for those who want to deposit, FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. Why do you play on FanDuel? FanDuel Fantasy is an easy-to-use app. Pick a new team every game. Different and unique contests across sports in relation to your skill level. Compete against your friends in head-to-head matchups. FanDuel is offering users the chance to play free, no deposit required, with a free entry to an NBA contest. And FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. Go to FanDuel.com forward slash cowherd to sign up today. That is FanDuel.com forward slash cowherd so they know we sent you. FanDuel, more ways to win. So, you're a sports fan. That's why you're listening, baby. But if you're considering getting in on the fun of sports gambling, I want to let you know about a great resource, the Action Network. And I'm all over it like Revis Island. I have nothing but great things to say about it. The Action Network is where fans go when they're ready to bet smarter and turn a profit betting on sports. In fact, their free Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. With the Action app, you can see the latest picks and articles from Action Network gambling experts, as well as personalities like Colin Cowherd, compare odds from different sports books, and track every bet you make so you always know how your picks are doing. So... 
If the game means more to you, download the free Action Network app and start betting smarter. Now, Eric Mangini comes to coach. Manginius. I stand corrected. Uh, thank you for thank you for telling me that. Uh, and does he not? Does he all of a sudden just think Jonathan Vilma's not not my guy? What, what's the what's the disconnect between your play and his thought of your play? His system. Uh, I think he thought that I was a very good player. Um, I don't think he he never shied away from that. He was used to big bodies up front. Big backers, think uh, Teddy Bruschi, Johnson, you know, that's what he was used to, right? Willie McGinnis, Jason uh, Vrabel. Yeah, was it Vrabel on the other side? I think it, yeah, yes. Vrabel, Vrabel on the other side, Richard Seymour. So that, that's what he's used to, big bodies. And, you know, there was no way for us to have, like, a, a happy medium where, look, I'm, I'm okay and – you know, Coop, there's ways to run a 3-4. You don't have to just sit there and take it and have these big bodies. You can, you know, stunt the line. You can you can blitz off of it. But that just wasn't his thing. So, you know, it was, uh, frankly, the best thing that ever happened to me because of that. Yeah, exactly. I go to the Saints I don't, and I win one. So, no, It's always funny, you know, when, when you've got a linebacker who's running a 4-4 but say, no, nah, we're going to ship him down to New Orleans for a fourth-round pick and let him – become a defensive captain and, and bring a city their first Super Bowl is, uh, you know, you might ought to write him a – send him a bigger Christmas present than you're sending him these days. Let's talk about that year. Just talk about the Saints. You know, it's – obviously, I live in New Orleans and, and uh, been here for the bulk of the struggles, uh, the, you know, the brown bags over the heads and the uh, – and just those long years and losing seasons and, and patient, patient fan base and loyal fan base. But to get hot like that and have some, again, as you said, some older guys come in and, and mentor the young guys and have a nice mix of, of kind of hotheads and talent and crazy guys and then balance people and then um, kind of a fun coach who's not afraid to, you know, roll the dice. Um, talk about that year and then talk about what it was like winning it in New Orleans. You know, I always compare – Championship to championship. So the national championship that year, <clears throat> that was by far the most fun I had. We were super talented. We kicked everybody's butt. We had a great time, still friends with half of that team. And we partied and enjoyed it. It was just fun, just a lot of fun. The Super Bowl was fun, but confined into a very, very – workmen's blue collar like mentality right and the only time we we celebrated was really after a victory and that's that was that was our thing look we'll party and have a good time if we win we lose you know it's no fun to lose in the nfl so every time it was hey we won a game we celebrate real quickly but boom 24 hours you got to move on to the next opponent and you kind of get into this rhythm and it's, you know, really, really, you got the blinders on and narrow tunnel vision and all of that jazz and add any cliche you want to it. Um, and it didn't really, you don't feel the pressure. We didn't feel the pressure until we started hitting, you know, nine and oh, 10 and oh, all of a sudden we've clinched the division, uh, you know, 11 weeks into the season. You don't really hear that often. Uh, we clinch a playoff spot. 
And then now it's like, oh, okay, well, now where, where are we going with this? Right? That, that was the thing. And we're in the meetings really saying, like, where are we going with this? Are we going to be the 15-1 and one Pittsburgh Steelers 2004 that lose to the Patriots in the championship round? Or are we going to really win this thing? So that's when uh, I think things turned. And when I say they turned in a good way, where everyone's focus now was we want to do something big, great. And when we had that focus being great, it became so much more fun in the sense that we don't know where we're going. We, I never won a Super Bowl. <laughs> My teammates didn't win a Super Bowl. But we're going to go fight like hell to go get it, right? And we're like, let's let's do it. And it was, man, when I, when I say just the city was behind us, you know, Coop, man, we, we had a lot of fun because of the interaction with, with the – fans so we had this narrow lens and then it was kind of like all right let's not just beat ourselves up every week now we're really into the no man's land we don't know where we are we don't know what we're going to do but we know we're doing something great so let's just let's just freaking go so that season man it was magical there was no other way to put it and I couldn't have written that story any better you know I actually born and raised in Miami we played the Super Bowl in Miami I went in Miami uh, I mean, it, it couldn't have gotten any better than that. Maybe for you, I, you know, I know who I beat, so we won't, we won't go there. But that season right. was awesome, though. And then it's—I don't think anyone else uh, in the NFL can can have a—they uh, I mean, have parades, but to be have Mardi Gras right after the Super Bowl and riding in parades and having throwing things and I mean, just absolutely being the toast of town had to be pretty good. You know why I'm laughing, Coop? Because. It was all one big two-week blur. It was a whole lot of partying, whole lot of drinking, whole lot of celebrating, whole lot more partying, Mardi Gras, and we're just like, wake up like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm still the Super Bowl champ. Let's do it. Let's do it all over again. That's great. Well, you've made the transition. You know, it's funny to talk to different players who've retired and try to figure out what they're doing you've made a wonderful transition into the broadcasting business and you've, you've done it, you know, talking about games and, and, and that are coming up. And now um, you're in the booth for the first time. Tell, talk about that transition and, and, and which one do you get more nervous about? Interesting. That's a good question. I've never been asked that the second part. So I'll answer that one first. More nervous about calling the games because you you have fans that hang on to every word and unlike the studio you hey you can flub here or there it's you know usually pretty quick and it's easy and you know they're looking at your face and you're delivering your your facial expression and body language so it's a little different you flub and it's not too bad but because they don't see you and they're just hearing you they hang on to your every word if you flub they're like Oh, what is this guy? He doesn't know anything. What is this guy talking about? He's terrible. He's terrible. <laughs> He's the worst, you know, like all of that nonsense, right? Um, so that's the, the to answer your second part. The first part of your question, uh, you know, I frankly took the approach of when I played. And the approach when I played was watch film, know my opponent, break them all the way down, piece it all together by Sunday, and then you go out and perform. So I do the same thing when I'm now in, in the booth and I'm watching two teams. I literally just break down the teams the way I would have when I was playing. Obviously not to the 
to the same extent, but I watch them, break them down, first and second down, third down, red zone, go through it all. So now it becomes very, very uh, free-flowing and natural when I'm calling the game. Most importantly, <clears throat> I'm able to – and this was the big thing about studio as well. I'll, I'll circle back to that. I'm able to talk either positively or negatively without, without it being a hot take and, and bashing a player or bashing a team or a coach. You know, I'm able to say if this guy's not playing well – I can tell you why he's not playing well. Look, his technique is bad. You know, his, he's inaccurate. So I'm not attacking the player. I'm attacking his, his play, which is a big difference, right? And same thing with the team. I'm not attacking the team being bad. I'm attacking that they turn over the ball too much or, you know, uh, they're not protecting the quarterback. They don't run the ball, you know, so it's, it's a lot different. And I think that, you know, it makes it a lot easier for me to just speak freely when I need to because that, that's, in essence, what the fans want. They want to be entertained. And they don't want someone that's up there biased going for one team or another or hesitant when things look bad. Like if it looks bad, it looks bad, you know. So um, that that was or that is how I how I approach it. And then the same thing within studio. I was like, look, I'm not going to be texting every coach and player I know or knew in the past. And then now I can't speak disparagingly about them if things are bad. So I was like, man, F that. Let me watch the film. If you're good, you're good. And if you don't like what I say. Uh, hey, look, my phone's right here. You go ahead. You can text me and I'll tell you exactly what I saw on film because my eyes don't lie. I know that. Jonathan, I think people would be curious on what, you know, when you're broadcasting a, a pro football game, what your week looks like. Um, I know you're, you know, you're looking at film all week and studying and getting personnel and watching film. But then mm. when, are you, when are you flying out to, you know, Denver when, when they're hosting the Steelers and then access to the team and how that, how that weekend works. I think that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Because of COVID it's, we're not obviously allowed to have <clears throat> the actual physical contact, but uh, I'll start with a Monday. I get back from the game. I'll watch just like how we watch film on ourselves after we play the game. I'll watch myself take the good, bad and ugly, uh, try to improve from there. And then uh, that day, I'm starting to watch film. Uh, back when I played, I used to watch, you know, the past four games or five games. Uh, now I just watch, you know, probably the past two games. Maybe I'll go back to another game if there is like a big stark difference in, in the way they played early on the season and now they're not playing vice versa. Um, and then I'll go Tuesday. I start to, after I've seen the film, I start to now formulate my thoughts on both teams and then Tuesday I'll look at their first and second down their third down and then I'll start to understand who the good players are and really what I want to do is I'm making sure that when I speak the stats confirm what I see on film and I do it that way as opposed to looking at the stats because if I want to see let's take uh, Joe Burrow for example I was like <clears throat> watching him Man, you know what? He's he's a really good quarterback right now. He has the escape ability, which is pretty good, and that's where he's getting all his downfield yards when he's extending and throwing the ball, you know, 20 yards, 30 yards downfield. So the stats are going to tell me that he has a lot of yards passing. The stats aren't going to tell me that he's actually much more elusive in the pocket than we gave him credit for at LSU, and now that's where he's getting his chunk yards. So – when I say speak freely, 
I'm going to say I'd rather keep Joe Burrow in the pocket right now. I don't want him out of the pocket, you know. So um, I know I digress for a second, but just that that's kind of how I start to formulate my thoughts. Then Wednesday, Thursday, doing the same. We'll have um, uh, production meetings Wednesday and Thursday. I'll let them know what I'm thinking and the themes for the week. And then from there, we'll talk to the players, um, either via Zoom or some sort of face-to-face interaction that we can do. Uh, and then Friday, I'm flying out, or Saturday, I'm flying out. We'll, we'll go over another production meeting, go over everything. And then Sunday, hey, man, that's you, you already studied for the test. It's time to roll, baby. It's time to go. Make it fun. Yeah, I, and I think I can tell when I'm watching you, especially with Kenny Albert, you're having fun up there. It's one thing. Uh, you know, watching people do things when they're not prepared or not comfortable. When you're prepared and comfortable and know what you're talking about. It's all good. Exactly. It's like, it's like eating soup with me. I mean, you're prepared, you know? It's not. <laughs> I'm almost done with mine. I don't know how much well, you have left, but uh, I'm almost done with mine. You know what? As we always wrap up this show, John, we always like to grade the soup between one and a thousand. A thousand being the best. I'm just exactly. curious. What do you think of our good friend at Campbell's today? Okay. B- before I answer, why a thousand? I, <laughs> I've got to know. Why a thousand? That's as high as we can count at Ole Miss. So we just stuck with that. <laughs> now, do I do this with my pinky up as I'm judging Campbell's pinky up? Yeah. Okay. Down, down, boys. Down, boys. Yeah, yeah, there we go. So, yes. Uh, Oh, one out of a thousand. I'll give it uh, oh, 980. Sounds about right. 980, 975, 975. There's a little room for improvement. I, I think that's, I think I'm going to go exactly 975. I'm totally copycatting here today. I mean, I think 975. Yeah, I think it's a great number. I mean, I think the good folks at Campbell would be glad to know that a you know, board of trustees member at the University of Miami gives them a 975. <laughs> I don't think they care. But they do care about you, Coop. So you're going to get endorsed. You're going to get that sponsorship. Just watch. Jonathan, I can't thank you enough for taking a little time with us today. You are a, uh, a gentleman and a scholar. And uh, if you're ever back to New Orleans, call me. I got a couple new restaurants for you. Okay? I, can put, I can point you in the right direction. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. I'll never turn down a New Orleans meal. So I'm going to take you up on that, Coop. Come see me. Thank you, buddy. Take care.